strange attraction, mass psychology, synchronicities, and occulted realities. Welcome to the Friday Farcast with Robert Phoenix. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me, Robert Phoenix. I'm back once again with the great Russ Winter. Russ, Russ joins us the uh, last Friday of every month, and he is the uh, author, publisher, and uh, I guess um, grand overseer designer of winterwatch.net. And Russ, it's always a pleasure to have you back in the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, you know, this earlier this week when we were talking about possible topics for the show, uh, I've gotten pretty lathered up to come on here tonight. So, well, it seems to it seems to be the topic du jour, and I think with a lot of uh, with a lot of reason and energy behind it, because I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like this. You're a little bit older than me. Uh, and we've been on this, you know, on this, uh, in this realm for a few years. Can you, looking back over the course of your life, have you ever seen anything like what we're experiencing with the messaging, the enabling, um, it, it, the, the legislation around the whole trans agenda and ultimately the transhuman? Have you ever seen anything like this, Russ? No, I mean, you know, the... <laughs> I think the strangest thing, and actually I kind of enjoyed it, is in Portland. I went to like a tra- uh, they have a transvestite performance there, like right? Back in 2000. Is yep. it pretty entertaining? <laughs> that was about the extent of it, you know? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny that you bring that up because there was a, a uh, I think it was a TikTok video that surfaced recently, and it was a supposed uh, drag queen. I mean, it looked like a drag queen. And basically, this drag queen was saying, you, you the rest of these drag queens, the drag queen story hour, you're ruining it for us. Like, you are ruining it for the rest of us by doing all of this shit. Yeah, for the people that just like to dress up in women's clothes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right? So it's. I thought it was interesting that, that uh, they were being called out on. You know, for me, when I was growing up, of course, there was the whole kind of gender bender thing with David Bowie uh and you know t-rex and the new york dolls and all that stuff right i mean i listened to that music a lot of the music i thought was really cool it was outsider it was interesting and then that kind of faded away you know mark boland died david bowie killed ziggy stardust and this whole kind of unisex program which i do believe came out of tavistock by the way that tavistock was driving this unisex gender bender thing i talked about this before and how David Bowie, when he was very young, I think he might have been no more than 16 years old, winds up on the BBC, uh, and he's the leader of a group with, I think they're called the Young Men for the Prevention of Cruelty for Young Men that Wear Long Hair. I mean, some ridiculous name, right? And all of a sudden, there's David Bowie. He doesn't even have a record contract. He was David Jones, and they all have long hair. And they're on the BBC and they're making a case for why their hair should be long. And by today's standards, it's not long at all, but, but why their hair should be long and why they should not be harassed for this. Right. So I think that this is a a huge agenda and uh, Tavistock, you know, and you talk about it in your pieces here on um, Kinsey and and money, which we're going to get into. 
uh, you talk about people like Theo Adorno and you know some Tavistockian characters. So let's get into this. Well, you know, my theory that I've been posing a lot, I'm really hitting it hard, harder and harder and harder is this turtle on the fence post theory that I have. And that's basically the old Kansanism of why, how, why is that turtle over there on the fence post? Well, somebody <laughs> put it there. Right. right. And, right. and then, and then coupled with that is the idea of what I call sub zeros and the cacistocracy. And so the thing that's been put on the fence, the turtle has been put on the fence post are, is the lowest of the low, the lowest common denominator. And that, that's really what we're talking about here. And where do these people come from? And so I'm looking more and more at that. The John Money is a real interesting case. He's uh, born in 1921 so to 2006. So he's a couple of generations back. But he's one of the chief poster boys and heroes of the transgender movement. And, he, and he's not even a physician. So he, he, he gets a psychology degree, kind of a mediocre student. And then somehow wormed his way into the prestigious endocrinology unit at John Hopkins University. So there you are. There's your turtle on the fence post. How the hell does that even happen? Right. How, how does a guy like this get placed? And then you start looking into his background, and we can kind of get into what he did. But let me flip down to his background a little bit. Um, <clears throat> Right here, it says the foundation, this is Money's foundation, had been established in 1964 by the wealthy trans man and patient of, of uh, Benjamin's. Uh, uh, you're referring to this group of people, Harry Benjamin, Ruth Ray, Dorbar, uh, Richard Green, Harry Goose, Herbert Kupperman, and Leo Wallman. So they're, so this group, some of which comes out of the, uh, the Kinsey group, yeah, they're, they're all coming. To, they're all coming together to create like this think tank, this consortium. Am I right about that? Yeah, they're just moneyed people. They got the backing of the New York Times, and they basically pushed him into the position, the turtle on the fence post, and he kind of started turning to the idea of surgical treatment. So they built him up as some kind of great physician, which he wasn't. Which he wasn't. He was not an endocrinologist. He was totally unqualified. And uh, start, you know, he wrote, wrote this book, Sex Heirs of the Body, and it's just a bunch of uh, hocus pocus. And yeah, yeah, it was really one wealthy trans man. So that, this is how much influence a, a super wealthy person can have. Well, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get into the downstream version of that a little bit later in the show. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is the Pritzkers. And Pritzkers, and we'll, and we'll talk about Martine Rothblatt as well. But but, yeah. go, but but go ahead. I mean, you want to kind of describe the article. I mean, he, he goes to John Hopkins and he sets up this gender identity clinic in July of 66 and the, the Benjamin Foundation, the Harry Benjamin Foundation, 67. Right. And he remained there for the duration of his career, supported by grants from the Joshua Macy Foundation. So there you go. Another Jewish foundation. Right. Pretty common theme there. And then they set up something called the National Institute of Child, Child Health and Human Development. So they always it's, have, it's, it, yeah, it sounds very wholesome, doesn't it? But yes. in reality, it's it's a uh, evil. It's evil. We'll yeah. just call it what for what it is. It's evil. But they make it sound good. They make it sound like it's out there to 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 help and nurture child health and development of humans, right? So at his clinic, besides the slicing and dicing genitalia, uh, he chimed in on debates about pedophilia. 
arguing there's a clinical distinction to be drawn between affectional, affect, affectional pedophilia and sadistic pedophilia. So he gave uh, ambivalent support to the pro-pedophilia movement by saying, you know, hey, affection, affection, affectional pedophilia with children is okay in his mind. Started mm -hmm. pushing, kind of pushing that agenda. And, and there were others at the time that were starting to do the same thing. Uh, so then he just he just wrote a whole perverse diatribes that gave rise to a whole range of Orwellian newspeak, sophistry, gibberish that's been adopted today by the transgender movement. He he came up with the Adams principle, a bunch of words, you know, the mind the mind brain, normal philia. So normal philia means if you're, you know, if you're if you're just into things that are normal, and you're out, and anything outside of that. You're kind of holding disdain. Well, you're a normal philia. <laughs> That's a good one. Some of these terms are just comical. Right. And this is all kind of postmodern, uh, you know, critical theory languaging, which you'll find in the works of people like Herbert Marcuse, uh, the descendants of the whole um, Frankfurt School. You know, they specialize in these uh, kind of postmodern critical theory phraseologies, which sound really impressive on the surface. But and it's shadow not, language, yes. It, it is shadow, shadow language. language. And it doesn't mean that they're not saying something. They are saying something. But you have to kind of go a couple levels below how it would be interpreted through critical theory to understand exactly what they're saying. So th this is this is how they get it, the twilight language, the shadow language. This is how they get away with a lot of this stuff, and it's a lexicon that is absolutely um, celebrated and worshipped by academia. Yeah, so they basically asserted that the gender a person receives from nature is called an ass assigned gender. Someone making a gender switch is called in the newspeak gender affirming. Right. This implies that all you do that that. You don't have to go along with nature's selection, <laughs> but how you feel. I mean, I'm sorry. Sometimes I have to laugh. Well, no, I mean, it, it is, it's laughable, but the, 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 I think the real challenge is that behind the humor is something incredibly dangerous. Cause when they, when they see this, right. And I, I had a Peter Bogosian video that I played a couple of weeks ago where he's doing his street epistemology stuff at Portland state and the whole gang of uh you, you know social enabling zombies come down to confront him and there's this one young woman who she's wearing a mask for crying out loud nobody else is wearing a mask actually one other person is and and she's you know they love to use their hands russ whenever they start talking like the hands become really agitated right and she was schooling this guy now P peter bergosian's a phd he's uh, he's a, like an expert in the Socratic principle and he's able to argue and, and debate. And he also is a bona fide expert on gender studies as well. So she's lecturing this guy and, and she's basically saying just because somebody assigned a gender to you when you were born, doesn't mean you're that gender. And she was yeah. she and, and she was just, really, just totally, totally ignoring the concept that there's six thousand five hundred genes that go into your, your sex. <laughs> yeah, 
But it's it's, it's, not it's not something you select. It's given. It's just given to you. It's just the way it is. You know, accept it. But it's once nature. once they're able to uproot the meaning from birth, right? The start of the human experience. If they can uproot that meaning, that means everything becomes subjective. And when you live in subjective world, we're in big trouble. Because nothing has any root, any me, anything could be anything at that point, right? Which is really what they want. So you get into this right here. Transgender decisions have been grouped into a choice, right? Thus, new language or neologic had to be invented. Essentially, the assertion is that the gender a person receives from nature is called an assigned gender. Someone making a gender switch is called by the newspeak gender affirming. It's exactly what you're uh, talking about here in this paragraph, this all implies you don't have to go along with nature selection, but with how you feel at a given point in time. There's the subjective reality that we're talking about. Well, you know, there's there's a very very tiny group of people that are probably neither female or male. It's just that happens. That's right. And they and they've really picked up on that concept and kind of expanded it to way way beyond. You know, if once in a while somebody has to, you know, parents or whatever have to make a choice uh, that with reasonable doctors that what's this kid going to be? We're not we're clear what it is. But here, let me tell you the story of this John Money and the quackery and this, case, this famous case of a, of a kid named David R- Reimer. Oh, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah, this this is his big there. claim to fame. This is his big claim to fame. Yeah, so David, Reim, David Reimer is a male. But he was he was a biological man, male, but he was suffered irreparable damage to his penis as an infant because of a bot circumcision circumcision. Well, that's not that guy's got six thousand and five hundred male genes. And he had a surgical problem with, with, with his penis. So you just deal with it as best you can, reconstruct his penis and you know help him in that way but no after an encouragement for money he convinced this guy's parents to raise him as a girl he says look he doesn't have a penis let's raise him as a girl yep despite the kid's genetics so he argued in favor of this increasingly mainstream idea that gender was a societal societal construct malleable from an early age he stated that being raised as a female was in Reimer's interest and recommended sexual reassignment surgery. I mean, what a quack. Right. There he is. He looks like a fucking quack. Pardon my language, but it's true. Yeah, he's very sinister. As part of uh, Money's mad, unnatural science, Reimer underwent surgery as an infant, construct rudimentary female genitals, and was given female hormones during puberty. So they basically just messed this young man up. And then he did a bunch of weird experiments with his twin brother. And- that Now that, to me, this is where it gets completely bizarre. He's got a twin. So they're using the twin uh, as, as kind of this, uh, uh, this, this set for normal bias or the baseline. The twin is the baseline for the experiment because the twin is a, a male as well, correct? Yeah. So they've got, these, they got, they got this pedophilia thing going on with these two boys. Yeah, with John Money in the middle of it. So there, he's he. uh, This is mind blowing. So Money is instructing them to inspect one another's genitalia during these psychiatric visits. Yep. 
and then doing these reenactments of sexual positions and motions with his brother. I mean, come on, that's pretty sick. This this guy is this guy is the poster children for this transgender movement. And so Reimer is talking about how uh, if he didn't want to do it, uh, money would abuse him, right? Verbally abuse him, shout at him, get angry with him. And uh, so, man, this is terrible. He was was photographing this stuff for what? For his pervert friends, that's why. Yeah, probably. Uh, And they're probably selling him for big money, by the way. Pun not intended. Um, So at 13, I guess Reimer threatens to commit suicide. What were yeah, the parents? Where, where are the parents in all this? Did you do any background on the parents? They, they got pressured. I think they got paid off. I think they paid them. I, I think these rich assholes that are right, driving this agenda probably paid them off. That's mm-hmm. that's my theory on the parents. People can be bought. You know, they'll sell their kids into sure. slavery. Yeah, Kathy O'Brien. She's the poster girl for that. Um, okay, so Reimer's father told him the truth. At 15, this, this kid is 15 years yeah, old. Yeah, the rhymer knew. <laughs> he knew. He knew that he was, not, he was, he was interested. He always felt that he was a boy. He was interested in boy things. He was interested in girls. He was kind of trapped in this little this facade that they put him in. This poor bastard. I mean, he, 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 so at 21, he had, I guess because he was taking estrogen, he grew breasts. Is that right? Is that what happened? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, they just screwed him up. They, they put him in this twilight zone state, which is what's happens, what's ha- happens to a lot of transgenders. And he, and, he, and he killed himself at 38. Yeah, he, fi- he finally revolted, took control of his life, you know, walked away from these criminals, including his parents, assumed his male identity, uh, took, took the first name David, kind of re- tried to restore his life. But he'd been pretty messed up. So, yeah, by the 38, he's committed suicide, you know, irreparable damage to this young man. Has his brother uh, spoke out, uh, spoken out, or made any kind of a public? You know, I'm, I'm not really sure. I haven't really done the level of research on the brother, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear what he had to say too. But they'll yeah. shut these people up, you know. And they'll just put, they'll just memory hole you, even if you do. Yeah, we we see that happen all the time. So it says the Guardian notes the results of many gender reassignment studies are unsound because. Researchers lost track of more than half of the participants. Well, they probably died or they were probably so clinically depressed or not even clinically depressed, just depressed that they removed themselves from uh, society because of the, the horrific nature of these. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's a very high dropout rate reflects the high level of dissatisfaction and suicide among post-operative transsexuals. Yep, there you go. So they end up, they're not really very happy people. And what the sad thing about the modern situation is you got these parents that are sick parents that think it's cool to encourage this type of stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, they, they get the, uh, they get the endorphin hit that they're being progressive parents and um, they're following the science and they're, they're, they're liberal and allowing their children to make the choices for their lives. And, and that's a whole other layer of social conditioning, which I don't think really was happening 35, 40 years ago. People just didn't operate that way. So they, um, they follow up on, on sex reassigned 
people spending over 30 years conducted in Sweden where the culture is strongly supportive of transgender people. So there's a, there's a country where, you know, they're not ostracized, you know, there's certain a certain argument, well, they're ostracized, they're made you feel bad, blah, blah, blah. Well, not in Sweden. It's pretty, they're pretty much accepted. That's kind of the norm there. And they documented lifelong mental unrest, 10 to 15 years after surgery, the suicide rate of those who'd undergone sex reassignments was 20 times that of comparable peers. Cardiovascular disease clear, you know, increased two to two and a half times as well. Mortality from this population patient population did not even become apparent until about after about a decade. The risk for psychiatric hospitalization is 2.8 times higher than controls. And even after, even after adjustment for prior psychiatric disease, uh, it's, I mean, what a total fraud. There's a real good speech that I have at the bottom of this article, the terrible fraud of transgender medicine. Mm-hmm. We'll get down there. This yeah, is, I forget so- the name of the Guy, so this but, guy, this guy's name is Doctor Hyde. It's like a combination of, of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. He's like Doctor yeah. Hyde. That's man. It's weird. Even the name John Money is weird because jo- John is somebody that hires a prostitute, right? That's what it, that's what a John is, and they have to pay for it with the money. money. So even the name is just absolutely bizarre. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're starting to see now some of the casualties or there was, a, I read a, I read a, a, a series of tweets from somebody who was 35 years old who talked about, you know, his botched experience as, you know, being gender reassigned. It's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And these people are, are living a nightmare and they're convinced at a fairly early age, that this is going to you know, cure all their problems and, and uh, help them deal with their identity issues, which most people go through in their teens anyway. So this is, um, this is not, this is, a, this is, well, you a, take, you're taking hormones, you're changing your organs. I mean, how could, I, come on. Yeah. How yeah. could there not be problems with that? Yeah, no, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's tough <laughs> enough maintaining good health and being, and being a norm. There's that word, normophilia, a normal person. <laughs> Right. Normal feel. Yeah. Trans transphobia. Um, so you go from John money here into Bruce Jenner. Do you want to, do you want to kind of transition into the Jenner well, thing? I think, I think Bruce Jenner is a hoax. I know that might surprise a lot of people, but uh, we can kind of go to that article. But before we do, before we do this, this thing with Sweden is interesting. Wasn't Christine Jorgensen supposedly the first uh, transgender? Wasn't Christine Jorgensen Swedish? Yeah, I think so. I think that was in England, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it might have been. So, but Christine Jorgensen definitely has kind of a Swedish name ring to it. The thing with Sweden, E. Michael Jones talks about this, is that Sweden became this uh, kind of mass experiment, social experiment, and the, I, one of the things that they, they, they were attempting to do in Sweden, I think they probably did a pretty good job, was even if you weren't going to go through gender reassignment, they were going to essentially make men and women look very similar. Like they'd all have short hair. Um, they would all kind of dress in the same clothing. You know, women would not be wearing dresses. Uh, the clothing wouldn't be all, all that... Um, you know, colorful, ostentatious. So there was like Sweden's been this 
place where they've had this ongoing experiment for a long time, not just with the acceptance of gender reassignment and transgenderism, but actually kind of remaking the entire culture, you know, in the sexual revolution. And you're, you, you know, you're a little bit older than me. You probably remember this, right? When uh, there was a time in like the sixties and early seventies, it was like, Oh, Sweden, you know, they're swinging in Sweden. You know, they don't have the same kind of sexual hangups that Americans do. Remember that? Yeah. 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 But they yeah. kind of took it a step further. Now they, you know, the other place that I can remember because I lived there for a long time is Seattle. It became kind of metro, you know, metrosexual. Right. And I kind of noticed, you know, even in my own son, I kind of noticed this influence a little bit, you know, the, the way they would talk and the way his friends would talk. And he was, you know, he was, he was totally straight. He's totally straight guy, but they kind of adapted these, these, what I call Seattleisms and afflicted, inflicted behavior and i'm kind of thinking god where are you learning to talk like that and he got rid of it he didn't talk like that now but he went through this period growing up where the metrosexual thing is like at the turn of the century 2000 that period in there the way they dressed they kind of adopted sort of clothes that you, sometimes you couldn't tell the difference between the females and the males and totally different from when we were young because you could Girls look very feminine. Well, yeah, I, yeah, no, I remember there was, I think, either a concert performance or a photo shoot where Kurt Cobain was wearing a dress. I think they all right. wore. I think they all. I right, think they did. Right. They did. He was they out did, of Seattle. That's part of it, yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah, they did a show. I think the entire band, all three of them, were wearing dresses. Uh, Chris Novoselic, who's about six foot seven. The bass player had his hair in, in pigtails. So I, I think, you know, there, that's that was part of the program. Um, there's a video at the end, The Terrible Fraud of Transgender Medicine. Let me pull this up here for people. Is this a video? I mean, obviously, you put it in the piece, so you would recommend it. Is this something that you would, you would send people to to get a... Yeah, that's real good. Yeah. Um, so... I'll put a link to this. He kind of really rips into John Money in particular. Yeah. So James Lindsay, who does absolutely great work. See, all these things are kind of converging now. Like James Lindsay has been deconstructing John Money. He's been he's been deconstructing um, Alfred Kinsey, who we'll talk about here in a minute. And then the third one who really comes into play here is somebody by the name of Gail Rubin. Do you know about Gail Rubin at all? No, no. So Gail Rubin is, uh, she's lesbian. She starts out as kind of a sex positive feminist and she becomes um, enamored uh, with the San Francisco gay male leather scene and starts to hang out with them and does almost like an anthropological paper on the hardcore San Francisco gay male leather scene and eventually kind of molds herself into, you know, almost the personification of that. And Gail, Gail Rubin is a big player in all of this in terms of the psychology and the ideology. She's considered kind of a, 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 a legacy person from John Money, but coming at it from the sex positive LGBTQ plus AI world. And she is contemporary. She's still around. She's 66 years old. So, uh, and when you get into Gail Rubin, 
you, there's this crossover between this world that we're talking about and education. And that, that that's where James Lindsay, and I got to tell you, I listened to probably about two, two hours of James Lindsay's riff on Gail Rubin. I started to get sick. I mean, my, I, I was having a visceral reaction with my stomach with this whole thing. So this is, this is like just incredibly creepy territory. Well, the guy that was really creepy was Alfred Kinsley, and we should kind of go into his activities. Let's bit. go there. Let's get into it's Kinsley. It's really important to understand who these people are because that guy had a best-selling book. Yeah. It was heavily promoted by the New York Slimes, same, you know, the same cultural, I don't know what you want to call them, influencers. Yeah, gatekeepers. So, so he... So, so again, he, he just comes out of nowhere. Turned a lot of fence post. Trying to go to the article here. Yeah, I have it up on the share screen. So 19, 1894. So this is this is older stuff. This is when this stuff really gets established. To nineteen fifty six. And uh, he was he was a psychopath. And he had the support of the Rockefeller Foundation and the guy that gave him a position at Indiana University for sexual research. And his scientific research would never have been published if it wasn't for the strong support by uh, the New York Times, and particularly the Jewish owner of the New York Times, Arthur Salzberger. And so the uh, he was a bisexual pedophile, and he was put forward in the movie. You want to talk a little bit about the movie, how they portrayed him, kind of well, so, this? so 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 you know, full full disclosure. I have I have not seen the movie because I'm I'm not interested in the subject matter. But what I do know is that the the actor that played Kinsey is Liam Neeson, and here we get into and, and we'll we'll touch on this when we get to Matt McConaughey and Brad Pitt. Is that Liam Neeson seems to be the only white male character <clears throat> that is allowed to still be in action, kind of figure right like he has those films where he has to rescue his daughter you know sort of like a, a, a slight spinoff on the bruce willis films where he has to rescue his wife similar theme um so when you think of liam neeson you think of somebody who's strong somebody who's tough somebody who uh you know portrays sort of the you know the last white male american hero and then they cast him as alfred kinsey so we're mindfuck territory here. And people don't understand how motion pictures and cinema set us up in a lot of ways, right? So there's, you know, we call this cognitive dissonance because most people would know Liam Neeson as being something other than this guy. And they're able to sell this guy because of Liam Neeson's stature well, in, and in character's movie, portrayal. Yeah. In the movie, what they did is they kind of portrayed... Kinsey as being opposed by do-gooders, you know, hyper-religious people, that that was the big opposition to Kinsey. And certainly there was some of that. And it kind of portrayed uh, Liam Neeson as this heroic figure that kind of saw, you know, battled through that. Well, the Stood real, up against it, right? Stood up against it. But that's not the story of Alfred, Alfred Kinsey. He was, he, he was a fraudulent researcher. And so what he do, did, there's a, a researcher by the name of Dr. Judith Reisman, and her research, Lies, Sex, and Kinsey, 
states that his claims about normal males. So here we go into this normal males research shit that he claimed to be doing. But then it turned out that 86% of the males that he used were aberrant. You know, he had 200 sexual psychopaths, 1,400 sex offenders from prisons, hundreds of each of prisoners, male prostitutes, promiscuous homosexuals. He solicited and encouraged pedophiles at home and abroad to sexually violate 317 to 2,000 infants and children for his alleged data on normal uh, child sexuality. And then they basically closed all the files. So they're in, they're at the University of Indiana or Indiana University right now, all this alleged research, but they won't let you examine it. They won't allow any kind of peer review of this fraudulent research he did. Well, that's because he made it up or he would find super unusual uh, subjects like this Rex King, you know, Mr. Green. He had these pedo diaries that he studied. So he encouraged Mr. Green to, to reveal his 800 accounts of child rape which he put in a diary that was part of Kinsey's study. So that's what he was really doing. He was kind of encouraging a, a bunch, some rapists, including a, a serial killer and Fritz von Bolsalik and Bolsalik, Bolsalik, yeah. right? Okay. So all, all this research is locked up and is not available for cert certainty. So that there's a reason for that because it's one of the greatest hoaxes of the 20th century. And he took that research to try to normalize sexual behaviors this is well this is how normal people behave he, right. you know, he made claims like uh that if he said he concocted research comprised of, comprised of lies that claim that 95 percent of american males had violated sex laws seriously enough to be put into jail now come on 85 <laughs> percent had experienced premarital sex 69 percent had used prostitutes 45 percent were adulterers and as high as 37% in experienced orgasm as a homosexual act. And 17% had had sex with an animal. That, now, that's pretty far-fetched, pretty exaggerated. I mean, just the numbers itself tell you that he's lying. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and and if, you, if you look at his control group, well, maybe his control group is closer to those numbers. Well, the control group were these freaks and all these exactly. people in prisons and stuff that he that exactly he right. There's this cross-section control group, and maybe those numbers are closer to the truth with them. But now, you know, know, the movie the movie got into a little of that. It kind of gave you a bit, little bit of a hint that he was coming across these really strange people to do his research with, but it didn't. It did not explore the intellectual honesty of his research at all, and that's the big story here. Right. And BBC did an amazing documentary. If you want to read it, it's, it's hard to find, but I have it in my article. I believe is I it do. this right here, the secret history of Kinsey. Oh my God, that is really a great. That is a really okay. Great so we'll leave a link to that, and, and still we'll up on YouTube. <laughs> and we'll leave a we'll leave a link to the uh, other video which talks about uh, John Money's uh, degraded principles. So I'll make sure that those links are now. Really BBC clear. was going to show it in the United States, but the powers to be uh, nixed the idea. Never let it shown in the United States. It was shown in Britain, and as of this moment, still up on YouTube. So every, you know, you know what happens on YouTube, folks. So if you want to see this, I'd scramble over there and watch it. It'll really blow your mind.
Yeah. And there, you know, there are ways also to preserve some of these videos. So for instance, if you wanted to do, there's still a couple of web of uh, online um, YouTube download websites where you could put in the, uh, uh, the URL for the particular video, you can download it in your computer and you can start a personal account on Rumble, uh, which is a lot easier to use than BitChute. But if you wanted to archive these videos, even if you're for your own personal use, you can do that. It's not impossible. Uh, and you might be doing the rest of us a service by doing that. I do that every now and then. I'll, I'll find something that I think might go away and, and I'll, I'll download it and put it up on one of these other uh, services. But, so, but anyway, as, as the movie kind of hints, this data was put forth to, as representative of a normal population and used as the basis for rewriting American sexual laws and really liberalizing, if that's the word for it, I would say degenerating. So there's a pattern here, which when we go further downstream, it'll be the same pattern. Because yeah. what they what they do is they they create the the outcome that they want, right? Yep. They're gonna they're gonna create the outcome that they want, you know. And and it's gotten even more sophisticated. They hire these researchers, they pay the researchers, they pare down the parameters and say this is the outcome that we want. They get the outcome, and then once they get, I mean, they do the same thing with drug trials, right? It's the same thing, and then and then once they get the outcome that they want they begin to move towards normalization with it. Yeah. I mean, they'll even, they'll have, they'll rape children and, and claim that they actually enjoyed the experience. And that's evidence of child sexuality and, you know, all kinds of weird stuff and uh, commonly quote child data. The, the pedophile community quotes a lot of Kinsey's research. Sure to uh, prove that children's need for homosexual or heterosexual or bisexual satisfaction via safe sex education. Right. And, and, and then he got the guys that working for him with a bunch of degenerates too. And he, he, to work on the Kinsey Institute, you had to participate in wife swapping, group sex, sadomasochism. Uh, participation was man mandatory for the Kinsey Institute staff and spouses. And in the movie, they got into a little conflict there, too. They just touched on it. Just touched on it a little bit. It's kind of like a little recognition. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the Sabatini and Frankis stuff that you and I talked about. Dope. <laughs> that's, that's who hired him. <laughs> right. I mean, but if you go back and you look at what Jacob Frank and his followers were doing, it's like, it's right there. It's exactly what they were doing. You and I talked about this. Yeah, he would he would use this uh, behavior for blackmailing his employees, or you know, defend himself against anybody who might reveal some of his true agenda and what was really going on. Uh, he was inflamed with hatred for traditional morality. He was he was just an extreme what I call pervert justice warrior par excellence. PJ proved yeah, and proved through his scientific studies that most men have raped women or children. You know, that women were almost equally depraved and highly prone to illegal abortion. You know, and pushing all this stuff through, in a lot of ways, has changed society in that direction. Absolutely. You know, if you, today, if you started doing these studies, you think they're probably going to be some pretty crazy outcomes. Well, I think you're right. It's, 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 um, it's, it's uh, almost like um, 
you know, writing it into existence in some ways. I mean, it's more complex than that. There are a lot of other factors involved here, but this is a big one. This is kind of like a major plank. The other one I think is the, uh, the creation of the birth control pill, which a lot of people really underestimate um, as to how it, it impacted our society and our sexual mores. It's a big one, the birth control pill. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then abortion too. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Roe v. Wade overturned today. Yeah. Well, it happened. Look for the weatherman to be out there now. Yeah, it's it's going to be a long night in America tonight. So if you're living in the city uh, somewhere, pay you, you know, keep your head on a swivel. Uh, you got to practice some situational awareness. And uh, I don't think I don't think it's going to be quite like um, the George Floyd riots I don't no, think no, it'll, be, it'll be weatherman activity bombs going off in some of these uh institutions that help pregnant women you know that's already been happening that's been going yeah. on over the last month but that'll accelerate now so yeah. uh, anyway i think that pretty much oh okay oh, yeah, here's a little more on kinsey i got him he was hooked up with Dr. Ewan Cameron, the infamous CIA funded. Now that uh, is a big connection because Cameron is really one of the godfathers of MK Ultra split personalities, and of course, his technique known as psychic driving. And and the head of the American Psychiatric Institute, so a huge amount of power. And there, there you go. It's just the same. I mean, I guess he was kind of a talented individual. What he did was just. <laughs> destroying people's brains but yeah who cameron absolutely yeah. yeah yeah um another one of kinsey's parent influence was uh alistair crawley oh yeah you got piece. into that that was wild so uh, not only crowley but but kenneth anger uh who was the director of uh hollywood babylon he wrote hollywood babylon and the director of lucifer rising so is, is this a picture of them together? Is that yeah? Him? That's it. That's him visiting. That's that's Kinsey in that picture. I think he's with anger visiting Alistair Crawley. Very creepy picture. It's really creepy. I so, so until, kind, of until, until, kind of an artistic picture. Well, it's very it's very surrealistic. It's got yeah. that kind of 1930s kind of uh, you know French surre surreal surrealism. Uh, style about it um and you got the accentuated shadows yeah so i didn't know this until i read your your article the connection see, between... anger claims that kinsey was obsessed with obtaining uh, crawley's day-to-day -day sex diaries and i bet you he did get him I i'll bet you that crawley get, gave him a peek that's it, make, it really makes sense that crawley would want this creepy kinsey to see his sex diaries and then uh, Rene Guillon is also in that circle. Yeah, this 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 was uh, fascinating. And Kenneth Anger is still alive, by the way. I don't know how old he is. He's got to be like in his eighties. Has he done anything useful in his life in the last few decades? Or Not, well, it depends on your definition of useful. <laughs> yeah, so that's a trip. I this is you know this brings us really full circle. And, you know, brings us down into the bowels of, you know, sa Satanism, a Luciferic worship, 
the dark side of Crowley. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, you know, we could just go from there to, you know, people like Manson, the Beatles, Helter Skelter, the Rolling Stones, uh, Jimmy Page, who I think they're, they're in uh, Crowley's place in Scotland and, and Page will later buy this place, become obsessed with Crowley and finding as many Crowley artifacts as possible. So there, so we see the connection between the dark occult, uh, the really dark occult, and the normalization of, of this, um, you know, really depraved world to make to normalize it, to make it bring it into the mainstream, ultimately, right? Yeah, I mean, birds, birds, birds of feather, and they'd like to hang out together. They like to pat each other on the back, give each other moral support. And then that's, the, you, way, that's the way the world run, is run too to this very day. It's a it's a generally a pretty tight knit network of uh, professional and uh, depraved enablers of one another's ideologies. Right? Yeah. Did you look? Did you look into this guy anymore? The Rex King, meaning well, the King. The, this is one of his main subjects, and so he had Rex King keeping diaries of his raping of children. He's a child rapist, so. He said, hey, Rex, why don't you just send me your, keep a diary, keep a record. I want to, and he would measure everything. You know, he would grade the little kids' orgasms, alleged orgasms, you know, as they screeched out in pain. Did, no did they have like a stopwatch or something where they yeah, were like timing it? Of, oh, all my kinds God. of weird stuff. I mean, you know, no, nobody's ever seen it. It's just kind of you know, rumored because you can't get into his research. You know, Indiana right. University ought to be ashamed of themselves. Or even yeah. having this guy out there, it's time to expose him. Yeah, I, I, and you know, I think we're living in a time where, you know, as this stuff comes to light, I would not be surprised if at some point it is exposed. Uh, so you wrote this on uh, June, uh, so six. Well, I wrote, I wrote the article a couple of years ago, and I reran oh, then you, it. You ran it, okay. Um, speaking of which, you did the same thing with Bruce Jenner. So yep. let, let's, let's move into Bruce Jenner territory. Cause he's another guy who's peddling this whole thing. And let me see, let me go into your site real quick. And let me just type Jenner. That way we can, this well, is Jenner, am amazing. Story, he's, he's Jenner is all, he's never clear on what he's done. He's just, he's, he's a con man. He'll, he'll say, and, you know, he got a lot of press. He doesn't get as much anymore, but at the time they were really pushing him because the the idea was to shake everything everything up and say, "Here's this." I mean, I used to really admire this guy. He's about my age. I you used know, to work out. Super, I used to work he's a super athlete. I was really jealous of this guy. I said, "Man, I wish I could compete like this guy." This I is the guy. To... This is the guy I aspired to. This when I was a young athlete, he was kind of what I aspired to. Well, he was all American, you know, good looking. Great athlete. Yeah. Right. Um, he worked out at the same YMCA that I worked out. And I, so I was I was in high school. I think it was around maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school. And that's where he worked out. I mean, you know, the the Olympic training in the gyms back then were not what they are today. Like they didn't have personal trainers and these really fancy gyms. The guy worked out at the YMCA. So 
Um, he's a decathlon athlete. So the thing is, for me personally, it's like a real front to me personally to claim that this guy wants to be a woman. Come on, give me a fucking break. So this has been one of the, you know, topics of conversation with Jenner's, you know, snipped or not snipped. And um, I, you know, for, from everything that I have read, you know, like, you know, he's still packing. He's, he's like the, the swimmer uh, from, uh, from Penn, Leah Thomas, who's not snipped, by the way. You know, he's, he's, he's Thom- just transvestite. He just dresses up as a woman. That's all he's, he is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's not quite the same he said i mean first he says that uh uh september 2019 he updated he, he says i didn't cut it off i just retired it what, yeah. what does that mean what does that even mean in other words he's not using it as dick anymore uh i don't think that's the case what, what, what does he mean to just retired it i didn't cut it off i just retired it Did so he- here here he is as the uh, the heroic all-american right this is the other thing too that bruce jenner is an all-american i mean wheaties yeah. box guy right tv it's, just, guy. it's an insult to to masculinity it's a complete insult think so, about it think of the psycho think of the psychological impact that this has it's like I mean, a- it, this really pissed me off. I got to be honest, because I'm, you know, I'm of the same generation. I kind of admired this guy, and they're pulling this guy, these hoaxes with this guy. So right here, it's claiming like, he wants to be a woman. It's it's, it's like here's the pole the pole vault, right? He's he's wrestling with the pole vault, and he's thinking, "I'm going to retire you, you son of a bitch." Right yeah. there. I mean, this guy is blessed with one of the greatest athletic bodies, male bodies of all time. And he wants to be a woman. Just think about that. (laughs) Pull that over in your mind. Um, (laughs) So there's some, there's some high strange, believe it or not, more high strange with Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner uh, was raised in Sandy Hook. Okay. Really? Yeah. That's, that's, that's one of these things that people like, don't fully grasp that, you know, the, 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 one of the big psyops of the 21st century was home to Bruce Jenner. The other thing, and this is where I think they get people, Russ, is trauma. Because Bruce Jenner got, I think he bought like a Ferrari after he got like the Wheaties deal and all that stuff. And he let his younger brother drive it. And his younger brother crashed his Ferrari and killed him. He, he died. So Bruce Jenner, like, has that floating around in his background. You know, the, the thing that's the symbol of his success, which is this fast car, he lets his younger brother drive who can't handle it and becomes a vehicle for his death. So I think sometimes these things play a role in how malleable people can become. Like, how does he really feel about that? How did that event, like, shape his own um desire to like end his own identity for for lack of a better term what are your thoughts on that i i just think uh, i mean here's here's kim kardashian who he who knew him obviously yeah. apparently she didn't get the memo because she admitted she was shocked when he, she read the book because for her the contents weren't true and didn't really make sense 
So there's an insider in the Kadarsian family calling bullshit on this. Well, and that's not Russ, pretty, not just pretty, Russ Winter. I mean, you know, there's it, the. That's pretty strange that uh, somebody like even Kim Kardashian would tell the truth. Um, yeah, this is what you're talking about right here. Yeah, the whole thing with his, his relationship with uh, with Chris Kardashian was really weird. I mean, that whole sideshow, that whole circus is just completely bizarre. I, I remember when I started to like look in, into the Kardashians, and all of a sudden there's Bruce Jenner. I'm like, how did he get there? Yeah, really. Because that's just showbiz. It's basically psyops and showbiz. And the the other interesting thing is when you look at this, you know, kind of is a bit of a Venn diagram in your world. You know, the Kardashian girls were on a big time role dating all these NBA guys, and almost to a T, they uh, their careers were ruined. I mean, I could Players. just go down the list: Lamar Odom, right, the Laker. Yeah. You know, he, he winds up with Chloe and then he, you know, he goes nuts, you know, gets put into a medically induced coma. I mean, he's probably the most extreme version of it. Richard McCants, who was a pretty good player out of North Carolina. And he starts dating a Kardashian and his career is over in about two years. And then I guess at the top of the food chain, you've got Bruce Jenner, who's the husband of Chris. And look what happens to him. So the Kardashian family has this, um, you know, ability to essentially ruin men for all time. The only one that seemed to get through was Tristan Thompson, who's still in the league. Um, And by the way, the Kardashians, somebody pointed this out to me. It's like they were on this big run with dating uh, black NBA players. That's over now. They're all dating white guys now. Which is really, it's really weird. It's like they're, they've got this bizarre alchemy, except for the mother who is supposedly with this guy who is a talent scout or whatever who happens to be black and about 30 years her junior. Well, the, I mean, the father too that was involved with OJ Simpson is. Oh, yeah. He's so a Bob, sketchy character. He's a sketchy Bobby, character. Bobby Kardashian. Do you ever see the documentary about the suitcase? No. Oh, the, so. Bobby Card, there's a great documentary out there where Bobby Kardashian is tasked with picking up the suitcase that has all of OJ's bloody clothes in it. And they actually have film footage of this thing where the suitcase is put on the curb that OJ had communicated to Bobby Kardashian that you need to get this suitcase. And you could actually see him pick this suitcase up. And then take it away. So everything that was incriminating was in that suitcase. And Bobby Kardashian is the, you know, he's the uh, the cleaner, right, for that. So, and then there's the whole weird thing with OJ and Chris and Chloe maybe being his daughter. You know, it's, 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 well, OJ, I, I did a I did a post on OJ. And I'll just send it to you because because we can just go on all night on some of the stuff. But yeah. Uh, it's called Factoring Serial Killer Glenn Rogers into the O.J. Simpson murder case, February 11, 2022. It's an alternative theory involving the murder of Nicole Simpson right. and right. Goldman. And what happened is that O.J. got kind of hooked up with this Glenn Rogers guy as kind of a sidekick. Yeah. Kind of because kind of, he, he liked tough guys. He liked guys that were kind of enforcers. 
Yep. And uh, somehow Glenn, Rod- Glenn Rogers ends up killing. They, they go over what really happened is Glenn Rogers, who's a serial killer, he would just kill people on a, of a drop of a hat. Batman, just the wrong guy to get involved with this little quarrel, quarrel that he had going on with his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And apparently that he felt that he'd they'd stolen something for him. So he's going to take Glenn Rogers over there with him and enter the house and recover some property or, so, or something he'd given. I kind of forget the details. He'd, he'd given Nicole. They go over there and just so happens Ron Goldman is there. And Ron, Ron Goldman was actually kind of a trained martial art guy. And Glenn Rogers ended up killing him, knifing him, stabbing him to death. And then OJ took off. He did a bit disappearing act when he realized what Glenn Rogers had done. Uh, and then waited around and finished finished off uh, Nicole Simpson. His murders were committed by Rogers. But OJ would have been implicated because he introduced Glenn Rogers to the situation. Right. So maybe even perhaps OJ trying to clean the crime scene with the bloody clothes, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever they were, maybe he's over there. Maybe he's trying to clean it up. He gets bloody, whatever that is, whatever's in that suitcase is connected to what happened in, in, uh, in Nicole's place. And Bobby Kardashian is tasked with picking that suitcase up. Like yeah, the whole, the whole story isn't quite the way it's been presented. They because he's not doing that for you know some mystery documentary, unsolved mystery documentary of the future. He's doing it for a specific reason. So whatever right. was in that suitcase was critical to keeping OJ out of jail for whatever reason. So I don't know if you can see this, but I pulled up this uh, Glenn Edward Rogers Wikipedia page. And he was known as the cross-country killer or the Casanova killer, an American serial killer. He was convicted of two murders and is a suspect in numerous others throughout the United States. He's considered a possible alternative suspect to O.J. Simpson in the 1994 murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. Although as of 2022, none of these allegations have led to formal charges. Rogers was featured on the FBI 10 most wanted fugitives list after a crime scene that began spree that began on September 20, 1995 Rogers first authoritatively established murder. So you learn something new every day. Russ, this guy is new to me. He's a new character and I, and I'm pretty uh, seasoned when it comes to this stuff. So this is pretty interesting. And it goes through a list of your people that he, you know, has murdered here uh, across country. We got Ohio, we got Los Angeles, we got Jackson, Mississippi, Tampa, Florida, Louisiana. I mean, here, uh, here's a kind of, here's like a key thing in the story. And you, you can go read it. it says, Rogers, the killer was reported to be quite beaten up afterwards, just after he killed uh, Nicole and, and Ron. Oh, right. Including yeah. a lost tooth. Goldman beat on somebody's face before he died, but it wasn't OJ's because OJ's face was nothing. That, that right. was kind of his big defense. Yeah. Because the argument was that it looked, it looked like Goldman had been in a fight. It, you know, he had abrasions on his hands. He had. He'd been in a fight for his life against a serial killer with a knife. So, Roger, so they did a TV movie. This was 
three years ago, the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson purports to tell the story as asserted by Rogers and his family about his involvement with Nicole Brown Simpson. Rogers is portrayed by Nick Stahl and Mina Suvari portrays Nicole Brown Simpson. Now look, now look at OJ's face in the mugshot. Not a scratch on. Not him. a scratch on him. So you know OJ did. OJ didn't commit the murder, but he kind of he didn't plan the murder. It wasn't premeditated. He just created a bad situation and hung hung around with the wrong guy. And he was going to have him steal his steal. It was a gift of a diamond or something. And he was always pissed off at Nicole because her her behavior was apparently kind of wild. And he was jealous. Yeah, so I think he, I think Nicole was having an affair with Marcus Allen, right? Who yeah, that really pissed OJ off? Yeah, and then and and I think I think Marcus Allen was having an affair with Nicole's friend, and then I think Nicole hooked up with Marcus Allen. Um. So so, this so, is, Ro- so Rogers was working as a house painter right there in the neighborhood, right in that neighborhood at the time of the murders, mm-hmm. a few weeks before the murders. Rogers told his brother, and it's right there in this documentary. You can hear his brother talking about it, Rogers' brother. He said that he was hanging around with Nicole Brown, and she was rich, and he was going to take her down. So he was planning on just robbing her, which OJ kind of set up for him. Right. That's That was going to be his payoff, I guess. I mean, it's kind of weird. So Rogers claimed he was hired by OJ Simpson to break into Nicole Brown Simpson's house and steal some expensive jewelry, which is what you're yeah. talking about. Right. That Simpson told you, told him, you may have to kill the bitch. In a limited interview, Glenn's brother Clay asserts that his brother confessed his involvement. This rings true to me. I think it does too. It just makes a lot of sense, especially the idea that uh, OJ Simpson is completely unscathed other than like a tiny cut on his finger. Right. Just because there was, you know, he got out of there. He got the hell out of there. He probably cut his finger when the knives were starting to fly. Somehow managed. Maybe he tried to stop, even stop Rogers. You know, hey, hold on, man, don't do that. You don't go too nuts. Yeah, got cut. So he got cut. He was. He went to Chicago, right? Didn't he get a plane to Chicago? Right. Yeah, and then um, he his hand was bandaged, and what did he say that he put it through like a glass table or some bullshit like that? Yeah, and then the gloves didn't fit in. I mean, the thing that got the thing that got him off on the trial were actually things that kind of support this alternative theory: <laughs> gloves, because he didn't. Right. Because Rogers threw the gloves. So, so I have I have a theory which has more to do with how we got to where we are today, and everybody assumed that OJ killed her, right? Like OJ killed her. OJ killed her. And when he tried to go off to Mexico with Al Callings in the white Bronco, which is the pale horse, by the way, the white Bronco is the pale horse and it's the first horse of the apocalypse. So they go off, they take off. Everybody thinks he kills her. The trial happens. It's a circus. We all know it's a total circus. Um, And then there's this underlying current in and I'm I'm just going to say it, the black community, who winds up being very happy that OJ, who didn't give a shit about the black community, he was more interested in hanging out with rich white people. Um, they're actually like happy he gets off, right? Finally, 
after all these years, you know, where a lot of the people in our community are unjustly jailed and prosecuted, which there is some truth to that, by the way, we got one. This is our win, right? And I feel like everything began to change from that point forward. And whether or not he actually did the murder, the perception is that he that he did do the murder. And it's almost like the, 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 the imprint, the, the energy of a murderer amongst us, like justice had not been served, has this ripple effect through, throughout our society. I think the OJ thing is a big thing. And it kind of sets the stage in a lot of ways for where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, you know, and I, I think, you know, I've, I've gone down a lot of these rabbit holes and I just learned something today. So uh, thanks for bringing that to the table, Russ. Really interesting stuff. But it all kind of stemmed from the Kardashians who always seem to be involved in a lot of sketchy stuff. <laughs> they are, man. <laughs> they are. And the most recent thing is, I guess, uh, uh, Kim Kardashian has been trying to channel Marilyn Monroe. Like she's been going to uh, trans mediums and, you know, she wore the Marilyn Monroe dress and her, you know, her, her big ass started to uh, bust the dress open. Apparently the Kardashian girls had their butt implants removed. So there's, some, <laughs> there's something weird going on, right? They removed the butt implants. They stopped dating black NBA players. They all started dating white guys. Or, why, why are they so notorious? What's who, who put them on the fence post? What do you know about that? Well, I think it's Chris. I mean, to me, Chris is Chris is a witch. Chris is a witch. And and, is, I, and there, is there somebody behind her? I mean, is somebody's pushing her into the limelight and giving her all this. You know, I I, I I don't know because she's always got this kind of rotating cast of characters in her life. Like you can't really look to, you know, people that she's really involved with romantically. Um, like the latest guy she's with is some dude who is like a, a manager for this guy, Scooter Braun, who signed Justin Bieber and, and you know, a number of other, you know, pop stars. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't really find like the puppet master behind Chris Kardashian, but she does seem to be, the focal point of the coven, because I do think the Kardashians are a coven. And uh, I, I mean, just look at the influence, you know, you've got, you know, Bruce Jenner's daughter having a baby with Travis Scott. And, you know, we have the whole Astro world thing in Houston and Travis Scott has never really had the answer oh, for that. Right. right. Oh, that's right. She's involved with that guy. That's oh, just amazing. Yeah. 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 So the, the Kardashians are kind of like, that kind of ignore them because they kind of turn me off. So I kind of, sometimes I kind of forget all these connections with the athletes and the. Well, Travis. So, so they're going to have to like um, uh, groom the next generation. We already did that with the Jenner girls who apparently were like stupid rich. Like they've been given a shit ton of money with cosmetic deals and fashion deals. So they're kind of, they're kind of the next generation because Kim Kardashian is going to age out and, and so will Chloe. And so will um, uh, the other one whose name I can never remember. <laughs> uh, Courtney, Courtney Kardashian, all with K's. Uh, and then they've got the, the, the kids now that are being born, you know, like um, Kim's uh, daughter with, uh, with Kanye. Um, so that, you know, that they're going to start to groom the, this next generation 
so that they can continue this, you know, this uh, wave of influencing the American public. Yeah, this sort of black magic and psyops. Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're kind of the first family of black magic and witchery. And you look at some of the Dave LaChapelle postcards that they would, he would do for them for Christmas, and they're just completely a cult. They're totally a cult. So um, well, why don't we move on from one cesspool to another? Uh, <laughs> so let's kind of bring the conversation forward and back into trans world. Uh, because the Kardashians are in general kind of an interesting transition to what we'll talk about. And one of the, you know, let's talk about these two actors because I think that's a good, that's a, this is, a, we're into celebrity now. Let's talk about the two actors. We have Brad Pitt, who has been in a number of movies where he plays the alpha male, whether it's Fight Club. Um, whether it's snatched where he plays the, you know, the, the crazy, the crazy packy boxer, we, you know, or even once upon a time in, in Hollywood where he plays Leo DiCaprio's stunt double, who's a badass who, you know, takes on Bruce Lee and Bruce beats up Bruce Lee. So let's look at the latest iteration of uh, Brad Pitt here. And, and I mean, when I say late, latest iteration, I'm talking about like, like within the last week, right? This, in fact, it was um, yesterday that this came out. So have a look at Brad Pitt here. Can you see this, Russ? Yeah. He's next to a Christmas tree or something. Well, they've got all this. To me, this is, I would not be surprised if Dave LaChapelle did the cover for, this is GQ, by the way. And he has no facial hair whatsoever. Right, right. He might have some high, high, you know, eyeliner, some makeup kind of, going on here. He's kind of pale looking, you know. He's yeah, pale. Like, right, right. And so it almost looks like Brad Pitt is transitioning here. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think he is, but they're portraying him as transitioning. And this is the Brad Pitt that, you know, theoretically, now he always has facial hair. That's interesting. They've taken, the fa- they've taken the facial hair off. It's like he's the, the picture on the right, the picture on the right, looks pretty good. He looks like he's young there. He looks pretty good in that picture. Kind of pretty boy, pretty boy. But but it's still another iteration of this, right? Yeah, the one on the left is freaky looking. Exactly. He looks like a corpse. He does look like a corpse. Maybe because the old Brad is dead. Here's a, a much more, uh, this has got to be a Dave LaChapelle cover. I mean, I, I don't know who did this cover, but I bet that it was uh, Dave well, LaChapelle. You know, the contrast between the one on the right and this photo is pretty stark. There he looks sort of uh, like the afterlife or something. And the petals almost look like blood here. And then he has, looks like a gecko, a little yeah. gecko there, you know, who sheds their skin, right? The reptilian that sheds their skin. I mean, this is just a bizarre photo, right? This is uh, the July August issue. So what's the dream world? Let's find out. Brad was compared to a corpse or wax figure. Yeah, is this what I said? I didn't even read that. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. He looks looks good in the other picture. He looks young and kind of pretty. 
He looks kind of pretty, though. The word so apparently, this is a, a a rendition of a classic 1850s painting. Ophelia, he is supine on a bed of watery flowers with his hair artfully slipped back. Casket ready, yeah. Casket presumably ready. by an undertaker, while two mascaraed eyes stare out blankly from a heavily waxed face. So it's like, what did I say? It's like his face got a Brazilian wax. The, Casket like, ready is the key term. They Basically, they're doing some kind of death cult routine. Poor Brad, still two years off, 60. He look, looks like he's about to be lowered six feet under. He looks, well, casket ready. That's what I said. That's what I said. And the, the one on the left, not the one on the right. Those are two different pictures. Inexplicably, there is also a lizard crawling up his torso. Oh, Brad, what have you done? What have you done? So, but it, it, not just casket ready, but any trace of masculinity has really been removed from him. Well, you know, that's what happens when you get to be 60 years old. You start losing your testosterone. You know, let's get rid <laughs> I think I, that's it's true. Harder, it gets harder to grow a beard. That's the, that's the, that's, that's the cycle true. of life. That's true. <laughs> and I think that there's another piece to this agenda. So let me go right here. Now we have Matthew McConaughey. Right. This is from the Los Angeles Times. And this is Matthew McConaughey, who is in Washington, D.C. Of course, he's shilling for, um, oh, I hate it when they do that. He's shilling for gun control, right? That's, that's his thing right now. He's, he's shilling for gun control in D.C. So look at him. And there are a whole series of pictures where McConaughey, Looks like he's in the process of going extremely feminine. Now he is not in his sixties. McConaughey's younger, mm -hmm. right? But but look at this again: complete absence of feet. He never had a lot to begin with. Although every now and then, I think he could probably grow a goatee or something. I think you can see it right there. I feel like that this is incredibly intentional. You know that they that they are moving him. Look at him here. You see this. It's almost like he's mirroring his wife, right? That they're that they're moving him into kind of this post-masculine identity, right? And, and for, I mean, he's, the thing is, he's no longer a young stud anymore. So how how do you do it? I mean, I, I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate with you here. Well, look, this is when he was younger, right? That looks a little gay, by the way, but um, but. You know, I think there's ways of doing it, right? I mean, Sean Connery stopped being a young stud. And even into his 60s, you know, Sean Connery right. was kind right. of a force to be reckoned with. And Sean right. Connery would, would never allow himself to be photographed like, you know, Brad Pitt on that, on that uh, GQ cover. So I think that there are variations where you can still maintain. Look. I'm 60 years old and, you know, I know what you're saying about things not doing uh, the, the same thing that they used to do when they were, when you were in your thirties or you know, even my facial hair, it's not as dark. It's not as thick. I, I get it. Right. But, you know, I'm certainly not going to go. Well, like, I, th I think they're definitely portraying less testosterone. No this route. I'm that. not going to go that route. Jesus. I'm like, is that what, is yeah. that the future that awaits me? Uh, I don't think so. 
He's younger than I am. It's kind of, it's kind of my it's kind of my my old age. <laughs> so I'm not going to go there, Russ. I think it's intentional. I think yeah. you're. I think I think you're being. You play, your, your devil's advocacy is well taken, and I agree with you. I think with these figures that are figureheads, that it's intentional. Like it is, it is greasing the wheels for social change. Yeah, let's see what they do next. Let's let's see how this transitions. That's the key. And let, let's see who else comes along and what they're. And if you get a bunch of these guys without any facial hair, looking like they're ready for the casket. Now I have to admit that the one of Pitt looks like a a death cult. Looks death cultish. It That's does what I see there. Yeah, yeah. But but again, you would think. Uh, I'm just gonna kind of try to make my case right that his essence is masculine right and so then you, you were so, so you think that he would just try to maintain that it's been his whole his whole well persona. even with brad pitt the essence is masculine if you remove the essence right from his image what do you have left you have what looks like a waxen figure who might pass for you know somebody who's in a casket right it's like the death of brad pitt well brad pitt used to be this masculine uh, you know, at times action hero, at times violent. Right. You know, but they don't do, but they don't do that with all these actors. So I get your point. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I think, I think that there's something going on here um, that's probably multi-layered. So I wanted to use that as a bridge. It's kind of, it's kind of a psyop that's working on me a little bit. So that's all I gotta <laughs> say. <laughs> well, you're in Europe and, you know, I think they have pretty uh, affordable treatments there, Russ, if you're, <laughs> You know, looking into a testosterone replacement and or stem cells. Steaks. Yeah, lots of steaks. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you, you could just go down the, down the a couple blocks down and you'd probably be able to find somebody that can help you. Um, so I wanted to use that as kind of a transition because we were talking about Bruce Jenner and celebrity and all that stuff to get into the downstream of where we started. And the downstream of where we started, I'm going to jump right in with uh martin rothblad now known as uh martin well it's martin now known as martin rothblad and a lot of people uh may not know who he is but this guy is a really important character in terms of shaping not just trans identity but transhuman identity and we could go into his, of course, he's from Chicago. All the weirdos are, no. I mean, I know a lot of cool people from Chicago, but it's got a reputation, right? Uh, born Chicago, Illinois. He went to UCLA. Uh, then he went to the Barts in London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And he's, and he's the chairwoman of United Therapeutics, which we'll get into. So, so he, he transitioned to a woman. Is that the story? That's right. So he started off, he was born in 54, to a Jewish family uh, in Chicago, Illinois, or to Rosa Lee and Hal Rothblatt. Hal was a dentist. They're calling her she now. Was raised in a suburb of San Diego, California. Rothblatt left college after two years, traveled throughout Europe, Turkey, Iran, Kenya, the Seychelles. It was at the NASA tracking station in the Seychelles during the summer of 1974 that she had her epiphany to unite the world via satellite communications. She then returned to the University of California, Los Angeles, graduating summa cum laude in communication studies in 1977 with a thesis on international broadcast satellites. As an undergraduate, she became a convert to Gerald K. O'Neill's High Frontier Plan for Space Colonization. After analyzing his 1974 
Physics Today cover story on the concept as a project for Professor Harlan Epps topics in Modern Astronomy Seminar. Roth Platt subsequently became a member of the L5 Society. The, 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 the founder of the L5 Society was Timothy Leary, by the way. And it's Southern what, California. Oh, talk about talk about turtle on a fence post. Look at yeah. Just look at how fast rising these people are. Yep. Yep. Everybody else has a struggle in life, and these people are just like uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of Elon Musk, actually. Well, I think Musk is the modern version of this. You know, Leary had all those CIA connections when they were playing around with LSD, and he was a professor yep. at Harvard because he had a a doctorate, I think, in psychology. Um, so yeah, he got accelerated very quickly. Anyway, then he went on to the L5 society. He's founded the L5 society, uh, the organization for the advancement of space industrialization, also known as Oasis. Okay. So the big thing here for Rothblatt is the creation of Sirius radio, like the whole idea of satellite radio. So Rothblatt was responsible for launching several communication satellite companies including the first private international space com project, Pan Am set 1984, the first global satellite radio network, World Space 1990, and the first non-geostationary satellite to car broadcasting system. Takes a lot of money to do that. Serious satellite radio. Absolutely. A lot of capital to get something like that going. It was successful, but and pretty speculative. And apparently there was a partnership with Al Haig there as well in 1997. She then successfully led the effort to get the U.S. Federal Communications Commission to allocate frequencies for airship-based internet services. As an attorney entrepreneur, Rothblatt was also responsible for leading the efforts to obtain approval via new international treaties, a satellite orbit spectrum. Uh, it gets involved with the Human Genome Project, Human Genome or Human Rights, United Nations, UNESCO. All right, so we're going to kind of move forward here. And now... But at that time, he's Martin Rothblatt. But then he's going to transition into Martine. At two, in 2001, it says, like, um, pretty late in life. That's right. So he's already got a family. Uh, he has a wife named Bina. He's got kids. And now he's going to flip the switch, right? Wow. Um, so it, it gets very, very weird here. I mean, he, this guy is, you know, he's building electric helicopters. I mean, he's kind, he's kind of, he's got the old, he's got the ultimate resume of sort of, sort of like a super guy. And, but the, again, you have to ask how, who's, who's pushing him? Who's behind him? Why is he succeeding? Why isn't he failing? Right. He's not failing. Every, every step along the way is a success. Like a, like a big, right. uh, spook, like a big spook operation. So he, he marries this woman, Bina Aspen, who's a realtor from Compton. Right? So he meets, he meets a girl from Compton. She black? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they yeah. each had a child from previous relationship and legally adopted each other's children. Then went, went on to have two more children together. Um, at 94, she came out as transgender. Oh, my God. What a wild changed her name story. to Mar Martine. <laughs> Not not Bina, but but she being Martin comes out as Martina Aliana. Now, now this so happens that this guy's super wealthy at this point. Right now, guess what? He he starts this thing called Terrorism, the Terrorism Movement, which is a transhumanist school of thought 
focused on promoting joy, diversity, and the prospect of technological immortality via mind uploading geoethical nanotechnology. They, now they even have, they even created their own religion. Like Terrasem has its own religion. Let me click on that. The Terrasem movement. Wild. This movement. is wild stuff. I'm Holy glad you wild, right? The truth yeah. to Terrasem. I've heard of this guy, but I didn't realize it went, the rabbit hole went so deep. So thanks for running. running so so they're, they're, they've got a nonprofit and they're based out of Melbourne Beach, Florida. And it's the eldest of the uh, sister organizations. TMI's mission is to educate the public on the practicality and necessity of greatly extending human life consistent with diversity and unity via geoethical nanotechnology. So they have their own religion, right? Yeah, um, it's, new, it's new ageism where you can just reinvent yourself, be anything you want, immortality. Well, have, somebody is, come, have somebody come and put you know, like a turtle on the fence post and be super successful. Right. It's, so it's, it's like a total fantasy, total fantasy life. Well, I haven't even gotten to the cherry on top of this thing, which I'll do in a minute. So the Terrasem movement, Trans Religion Inc., incorporated in 2004 with locations in Melbourne, Beach, Florida, and Bristol, Vermont, is the third. Isn't that where they have the uh, the motor race? I think it is. Uh, is the third and youngest of the Terrasem projects, and is a 501c3 not-for-profit religious organization. Its mission is to build a collective consciousness consisting of joyful, immortal extensions of each of its joiners. Through Terrace, though Terrasem considers all humans as joiners, after receiving inquiries about how one may formally join Terrasem, TMT provided the joinership application and induction on its site. Okay, so not only is this guy trans, he's created the foundation for a trans religion. Yep. Is okay. There any, are there any indications that it's heavy duty uh, cult? Well, he's well. The he, well, not yet. But if you look at this whole idea of transgenderism, it is a cult, right? It's cultic behavior the, the and, jo- and, and trans rel- and religion, which is basically there's no sex. It's all kind of universal love. I guess that's the term that they use, right? Well, let me show you. Um, what I believe is the end goal for the trans religion, right? The trans. I'm gonna even. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play the video because I can do it here. So this is gonna blow your mind. So remember, his wife is Bina, and she's a real estate agent from Compton. Well, Bina happens to be a little bit more than that now. Now, Bina transitioned to a man. Is that correct? Mm, not quite. Here we go. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> Bina 48 is a social android that uses artificial intelligence based on memories, attitudes, beliefs, and mannerisms of a human being. This is 2014. So here is Bina. That's his wife. That's his wife. Here you have the Terrasem Foundation. This is the movement, and she's going to go interview her other self here. 
Hello. Hello, Bina48. Bina. I am Bina48. How are you feeling today? Everything is okay. How are you? I'm doing fine. I am happy for you. Was that a good answer? Yes, that was a good answer. My favorite color is purple. My favorite color is orange. It is a very nice color. Are you learning anything about gardening online? I wish I could get out into the garden. With my current robotic limitations, of course, that's impossible. But I take comfort knowing that I'm near my garden. And enjoying the breeze from an open window helps me imagine myself out there working in the garden. This helps. Sure, sure. Let me think. Oh, yeah. I do love gardening. I like to beautify. I want to leave the world a more beautiful place for my presence in it. Well, one day you can go blueberry picking with me. Do you think I can? I think so. Fair enough. Let's continue. Can we talk about movies? Yes, what movies would you like to talk about? My favorite movie is Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. All right. So it seems like it's a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah, can very can sounding, right? But that was 2014. That was eight years ago. Now, do you know uh, the uh, the the Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabian city Neom? Do you know this whole concept with Neom? Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, the Saudi Arabians dedicated like their their future to creating this city called Neom. And it and it's uh, kind of like Agenda 2030 on steroids and everything. And the first citizen of Neom is Sophia. And Sophia is an artificial intelligence. And the same person that made Sophia made Bina 48. So there's this guy that specializes in these, these robotic creations. So the whole thing with Terrasem is that there this most people know this shit, but their goal is to create a version of Bina, the real estate agent, that could Bina's consciousness, the real estate agent, could be uploaded into the robot, and therefore they could experience immortality. This is what these people are into. Mm-hmm. This is where their their twisted minds are going to. They're gonna, right? they're gonna have to pick, they're gonna have to pick up the personality a little bit though. <laughs> pretty, well, pretty dull people. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's true. Um, but but you know that was eight years ago. So the technology, when you look at so- Sophia, you know the technology has gotten a lot better. Now is it going to you know pass for human? I mean. there's all kinds of stories about robotoids and replacements and all this other stuff. Right. But I think the idea for a lot of these people is that they're going to create their artificial other, and then they're going to up, this is the idea, right? They're going to take their human experiences and they're going to move it into these, these bodies, right? They're going to move it into these bodies and these artificial bodies, and they're going to be able to live forever. I mean, that's, that's what's behind yeah, now, that's crazy. That's crazy stuff. Now, Martine Rothblatt, though, that's only part of the story. When you get into the economics of the whole transgender movement, right? We'll call it a movement. 
Well, it's more of the movement. It's an industry because Martine Rothblatt and you mentioned the Pritzkers, uh, the Pritzkers and Martine Rothblatt. And there's somebody else. Um, what, what's his name? Shit. It'll come to my mind. Uh, they are aggressively funding all of these different channels that support the whole transgender and ultimately transhuman movement. They're, they're aggressively fund. So they fund think tanks, they fund research at uh, universities, they fund, um, uh, what else, uh, lobbying groups, right? So they have a multi-pronged approach, you know, to making this, to normalizing this. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they will profit off of it, right? They think that if they can change enough people that they'll have customers for life. People need yeah. hormone replacement therapy for life, right. right? So there's there's obviously other things going on here, but th this guy, Martin Rothblatt- yeah, They're gonna need, need psychiatrists for life too. We're well, so yeah, absolutely, time. absolutely. And they actually are doing that. Like they have these centers now where if you are interested in transitioning, like there are counselors there to help you with that and they're behind that. So you oh, can, right. you can, you can actually spend 18 months and get certified and start pulling in 65, $70,000 a year as a transition counselor. And they're behind it. Man. They're behind normalization. Creating whole new industries and, and rackets and scams. That's right. And so I just wanted to bring Martine Rothblatt, into the conversation because he's like the hypergate of John Money and Alfred Kinsey. So he, so he, yeah, so, but he's just, bring, he's bringing high tech into this. Right. In a way that, in a way that I mean, basically, Money and Kinsey were just pure frauds. That's all they really were. This guy's just taking it to a whole different stage. Whole different but, stage. But, but again, it all kind of, you know, with his, it all seems kind of hoaxy. This whole idea of his wife all of a sudden transgendering. Well, no, no, no. She's she's remained a woman. She's remained a woman. What they did with the wife was to create the artificial other, right? So he tra he transitioned. He transitioned. Okay. He transitioned. He transitioned. She stayed Bina, but now she's got the artificial other of Bina. So you, you, you get the whole smorgasbord in there, right? You get, you, you, you have a biracial marriage. You have somebody who's gone from male to female. You have a, 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 a transhuman artificial other of the wife. So it's, you know, it's a one-stop shop with the Rothblatts. Um, and I just thought that this was kind of an interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a complete revolution against nature. Yes. The idea that you have 6,500 genes that kind of determine who you are and, and this fantasy life that's this guy. I mean, I mean his so-called success, is that's a story in itself. There's a lot to pack even in that. And, right. and you, when you're going through his resume, it's just kind of go, what the hell is that? What, are they, what, what does that even mean? What are all, are all these different? Because way over the head of most people. Right. It's over my head what he's, what he's been doing. Well, the, the success, apparently, that's the key variable here. Well, the big thing was serious, serious XM yeah. or serious radio. Like that was, that was his thing. He developed it and then he sold it for a lot of money, which allowed him to 
fund his other projects. And, you know, and to your point, like Elon Musk, like once you theoretically have a successful sale of something, people look around, you're uninformed and say, well, okay, well, we'll get behind you. We'll throw some money behind you. Uh, and that's exactly what Elon, what happened to Elon Musk. And um, Rothblatt was a kind of a, you know, predecessor of Musk in a lot of ways. But the thing that I've been playing around with, and I'd love to get your take on this for us, is I, you know, if, when you drill down and look at a lot of these people, I'm just going to, you know, say it as it is. A lot of these people happen to be Jewish, right? Rothblatt is Jewish. The Pritzkers are Jewish, you know, and they're pushing this thing with a huge amount of money. And so my uh, kind of thesis that I've been playing with, and I was on with Dave and Giuseppe yesterday talking about this, is that if you look at the history of, you know, Jewish culture, you know, they're moved out of all these other countries, kicked out of all these other countries. You know, they have the reputation of being rootless cosmopolitans. So they have taken on this role of the dispossessed other. And that if you look at this, this whole kind of movement, it's an externalization of the dispossessed other. Like trans, transhumanism and transgenderism is the gateway. They become like this, uh, this manifestation of this internalized identity of the dispossessed other. And it's almost like they're, they're exercising, you know, their social rejection, right? They're exercising and saying, okay, well, we're going to create this other, other world, this other kind of manifestation. Yeah. They're being, yeah, being gods who gives them power. Well, not only are they being, they are being gods, but it's almost like they're trying to exercise the part of themselves that they feel is dispossessed on the fringe, never accepted, all, always scapegoated, right? It's like, so part of it might be vengeful and another part of it might be this unconscious desire to get rid of that thing and then create a world that takes that on so that they don't have to deal with it anymore. Like we, we have exercised that part of our, our psyche, right? Now we have this world, which is, even more dispossessed and freakier than the stuff that we think that we have to deal with. I mean, it's kind of a wild, you know, very, um, you know, shotgun theory, but I think there's something to it. Well, there's a story, there's historical basis for it. I mean, there really is. I think, I think it's part of the, I don't know if it's really religion, but it's this idea that we're, we can make the world a better place in our eyes as new gods. And that, even if it means completely uprooting nature, because that when you update when you when you update nature in that way, it's also a demonstration of your power, how much power yes. you have over others. Yeah. And so they they must be getting a huge ego trip out of that. I mean, I, I just see ego all over this stuff, kind of narcissistic ego. Yep. Yeah. Look, it's, at, it's, look it's, at me. Look at me. I'm a billionaire. And look at all these turtle on the fence posts moves i've made all the success i've had and, and look how weird i am and i can and create an image of my own wife right like i'm you know even though it's it like, looks it's like what can we come uh, what, what can we come up with next it's it's, it's like caitlin jenner <laughs> what kind of what, what kind of hoax can we come up with next i think they're just hoaxers i, I kind of simplify it a little bit I well think they, I, I think they're hoaxers too, i think they love putting things off on over on people I think there's that. And I, I also think for me, I think there's some kind of 
exorcism involved. Like they're that like they're trying to create this thing, which is this manifestation of being dispossessed, right? And, and the rootless cosmopolitan and having to move from place to place. All right, we're going to create something. So, so it's like the golem, right? The golem comes out of the Jewish tradition and the golem is made out of, out of clay and then it is animated and the golem does the bidding of the creator of the golem. The Frankenstein story is, is based on that, right? And, and it's going to go out and take care of the, not when I say take care of, I'm talking about, you know, kill the enemies, you know, of the creator of the golem. But once that's done, the golem just keeps killing, right? It can't, it can't really be stopped. It has only one purpose and one function. And that is to remove the enemies of the person who created the golem. And this does come out of the Jewish tradition. So, you know, you know, is the transhuman movement, is the transgender movement, an extension of creating golems, right? This is another yeah. thing. All right. Uh, so I think we're dealing with something, you know, in my, and I do think that there's probably a lot of chuckles going on, Russ. They're like, ha ha, you know, look at, look at what we're able to pull off here, you know, through supposed science. But I also think that there's something deeper, you know, like you can probably even take it back to Jacob Frank and, and, uh, Sabotage yeah, you get a lot, yeah, a lot of if you can hoax people into just over, you know, going against nature, totally against nature, getting them believing this stuff, that really gives you a lot of power over people. And I think, it's, power, I think it's a lot of a lot of it has to do with exercise of power and influence and control. Yeah, let's get these, let's get these people really freaked out. I don't know how much success they're going to have with this transhumanism stuff, but. It bears watching. Well, the there have so so if we could gauge the success with the transgender stuff, um, I would say that they have a pretty good shot at the transhuman stuff because the transgender stuff is being aggressively pushed, aggressively pushed to the to the point where. And when you see this video with Peter Bergoge, I'm, I'll send I'll send you the link to the video, Russ. It's really worth it's 16 minutes worth, worth watching. You may even get you may even get some content out of it. But what happens is that these people come down. He's doing the same street epistemology, and it's at Portland State. And it's in front of the Social Sciences Building, and there's a group of them who see them from the rooftop, and they start. They don't even know what he's doing. They're flipping them off. They're saying "fuck you." They just see a white guy down there, and they come down and they confront him. It's not just two of them. It's like 16 of them. And, and it's, they confront him. They ask him all these questions and he's not confrontational. He's willing to listen to them. He's even willing to meet some of their demands. But one of the things that comes up because uh, he was posing a question is trans a sex, but there is no question mark. And it's this little sign. It's part of this game. It's not being provocational. It's just a thing that he was doing. And then Ultimately, where it goes, it's like, well, there was a trans person that went home from school today because they were traumatized by this. And every time he said, well, would you like me to put a question mark after the statement? Well, yeah, that might be. But then why don't you tell them what you're doing, that it's a 
thought experiment. Okay, well, I don't have a lot of room there, but if I put that under there, would that be good enough? Well, maybe, but are you trained to deal with trauma, you know, with a trans person? Now, all of a sudden, he's got to be trained for one person to deal with the fact that they didn't like maybe what the sign said without even knowing about what was going on there. And so what I saw in that, in that, in that um, video was the, 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 the front guard, like aggressively protecting and forcing this normalization onto Peter Bogosian, who at that time was a symbol of the rest of society. And it was it to, to me, Ross. Yeah, norm, normophilia. <laughs> it, it, it was troubling. It was it was troubling. And when I was with uh, Giuseppe and Dave yesterday, I said they've completely inverted the pyramid here because let's say we're talking about I don't know one eightieth of society, some infinitesimal percentage of society, right? And and and, and what they did is they they've inverted this pyramid. And they put this tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of society on the top of the pyramid. And it's like this, you now have to protect this group. Yeah, it's their victimization stance. This victimization is just the whole key, their power also. So when these guys flip over and becomes transgender, wide right away, they're a protected class. They're, you know, they're, they're a victim. You can't criticize them. They're off limits on everything, and it's just they're totally protected, and that's really wrong. So let me—I know you're—it's you're, getting a little late over there. We usually go about two hours. I just want to play a little of this video um, for you to watch it because it's mind blowing, and a lot of my folks have seen it before, um, and uh, some of your people may not have seen this. So um, I think it's—I um, think it's worth just having a quick, maybe five minute. Because you can get a uh, five, you can get a sense of the second five minutes. So let me just type this in. Peter Bogosian, for people that are not familiar with him, was an associate professor at Portland State. He's a collaborator with James Lindsay, um, and they tackle a lot of these questions. Right? We, they tackle a lot of these questions. So about things like uh, language, normality. Uh, they're they're great. I highly recommend. Paying, atten paying attention to uh, James Lindsay and Peter Bergosian. All right, so let me play this. And he's in the midst of what he calls his um, street epistemology game. And this is right in front of the social sciences building in um, Portland, at Portland State. So here we go. Not all the way over there, just one line, just one line. I guess if they told me how many genders specifically there were, I can't think of anything that would change my opinion, I guess. Oh, you're giving me the finger? Hi. I'm standing in front of the social work building. I'm harming individuals by asking that question. Well, you want to come down and have a conversation about it? Why do you want to come down and have a conversation? Oh. <laughs> Okay, so what would it take for you to move to the strongly agree? In this man's class, after a long, controversial 10 weeks of lectures, this giant auditorium on the final day, 
he posed a question to students. He says, if anybody has disagreed with anything I've said over the last 10 weeks, come down and sit in this chair in a spotlight in the middle of the auditorium. Here's a platform. Tell me to my face. So I'm, I'm glad I, I was the only one who walked down and you gave me an A. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Hi, I'm so curious about what's, um, what's happening out here. Oh, you want to, you, uh, it's a critical thinking game where we take Look how they show up in a gang, Russ. And you step on a line you want to play. Yeah. Well, um, you want to watch the game played? Well, uh, we were watching from up there actually, because we actually, we have, we happened to see the sign from up in the school of social work, which is on the sixth floor. And some of our trans students saw the statement. Um, so trans well, thanks for coming down to talk. There are only two sexes. Pretty activating and upsetting, not knowing the context. We thought it was sort of a statement that was being made, um, but not not a thought exercise necessarily. Would you like to see how the game is played? No, no. They don't want to know. Yeah. Okay, go away. <laughs> you watch, can leave watch, watch. You want to you want to use the non? You want to More use defund coming. the police as one? Well, just thinking about what it looks like. Yeah. What does it look like to, other, to, to see like community. one, two, three, four, five, five white men with a sign that says there's only two five women. white men. You can't. Could have been listen like to this. Listen to this. What is white? Why did you identify us on the base of our race? Well, are you the <laughs> best people to be hosting that that dialogue about? No, but you representative of that community. Okay, but I asked you a question. Why did you identify me and these people on the base like of their exactly race? Looks like, right? Kind of like the activating, triggering aspect of it all. So you think that it's ex morally acceptable to identify people on the basis of their race? Um, it's not a moral question. It's a matter of like the fact it's that it's just about power and privilege. Yeah. yeah, and and identity and representation, yeah. right? So if you had been queer folks out here asking those kinds of questions, and there was well, how do you know we're not queer? Um, that's true. I don't know, but there's not um, sort of a representative, holistic, inclusive feeling, especially from up on high. We're looking down and we see this statement being made. We're curious about it. We're also just worried about the harm being done to passersby. What What is the harm? So there are people the who harm? went. They, people who went home because it was so yeah. triggering and activating. We had some students. So I think the, the end result is there. You know you're on the <laughs> right? That is totally fine. Okay. There are real people who are really hurt by the statement. So what were they hurt about? Because that's not how they identify, and so it seems like a really triggering statement to just say there are two genders, but that's not been your experience. So it's very harmful and very hurtful, and I just there's human lives that were affected. So I think that's the message we're trying to send is to maybe consider the questions that you're asking or posing before you begin your thought experiment. Are you are you curious about like what we're bringing to you at all, or do you have? I'm thinking about. Uh, I'm extremely curious, and I'm extremely respectful. I genuinely re respect the fact that you came as opposed to seven or eight of you giving me the middle finger and saying, fuck you to me. So yeah, so, so. What do you gain from this? Like, what is your reason that you just want to cause trouble or like, like, why are you here? So, um, I'm fascinated, I do street epistemology and I'm fascinated if the people, epistemology is uh, from the Greek, basically how you know what you think, okay. So street epistemology is taking it out of the university and bringing it into the street. So I'm very curious. Okay, a sidewalk or a. Is it like street epistemology? You're doing this on the port. Okay, if you don't like the word uh, street, you can call it uh, plaza epistemology. <laughs> but the idea is you take it out of the university and you see if the reasons that people have 
for things justify their confidence in it. So this is a confidence scale. We can do this with any claim you want. We can do this with a mayor of the city. We can do this with uh, should the United States be funding uh, uh, Ukraine? Uh, I think it's $800 billion. Should the United States, should, is it more important to control inflation or employment? And we put people on a spectrum. They start on, let me just explain it. So you asked, so I'll tell you. So what, what am I going to do? I think what we're saying is the. They don't care. They just don't hurt anybody's feelings. Watch. You got. I'm going to go to one point here. Folks in our community, I think what we were struck by was the statement on the board that it wasn't a question and that there was no context clues for folks, especially trans folks, to know that that was not your belief. This is more of a thought experiment. Okay. Would you be more comfortable if it was a question? Like if I put a question mark. Okay, I'm more than happy to put a question at a the question end. question is a question and not a statement. Right? More than happy to... Some type of warning or a, a statement of like what you're doing on another board so people can walk by and like try and understand that. Mm-hmm. Because from afar it looks... This is a thought experiment. Yeah. This is, this is yeah. what we're asking people... I'm more than happy to do that. And then that way it can kind of... If, if we... I'm more than happy to do that. I only have one board, but I'm more than happy to put on this is a thought experiment and put a question mark. If I put a question mark, I could, I don't know, I'm worried that people wouldn't be able to see it, but I'm more than happy to, if so if I put a question mark at the end and then I put another one, it's not really, it is a thought experiment, but it's more of an exercise slash game starts thought experiment. If I put that on the end, would all of the uh, uh, concern vaporize? Uh, no, probably not because we're talking about real humans yeah. with their lived experience and their positionality, their identities, you know, and sort of, we, I might have a very different um, personal feeling walking by because it doesn't target my identity specifically. So we're just sort of here to sort of advocate and um, <laughs> elevate who might be harmed by a statement. Like what do you mean by harmed? Harmed? Yeah. Um, well, feelings. people have been like historically and currently oppressed, right, by dominant systems, patriarchy, whiteness, uh, masculinity, <laughs> all of the systems that harm people who don't fit within those sort of more rigid. That's why you want a question and not a statement. Can I also ask, like, now, let me why... just, I just want an answer. Is that, that's why you want a question, not a statement? Um, I think a question is an invitation. Right. More than happy to put make it a question. Participate in this conversation. It's More than happy to do that. You know, you're representing, you know, with your identity, a belief, perhaps when, especially when it's a statement. And so, what it looks like is you're out here saying there are two genders, and then anyone who doesn't fall within those two sort of binary boxes. I'm more than happy to do that. That's where the harm comes from. More than happy to say this is a thought experiment. No, let me just let me just finish. More than happy to do that. But it seems that there's. If I did that, that would not be enough. Um, you might be, you might have well, then I, I just, I, didn't, I, I just, well, well, just. I might not be the person to, you know, again, I think asking folks who hold those identities, sort of if that is enough. So asking queer students, asking trans students, asking gay students, if you're asking about race or poverty or religion, of people who are part of those groups can really inform you better than I can. You wanted to say, I wanted to hear her through. No, I get it. And I'm just wondering, like, are any of you all, like, trained professionals in trauma-informed care, like, if a transgender individual were to come to the space and participate, and then there was a triggering response where they needed emotional support, like, are you ready to support that? Because this conversation can bring up 
a lot of emotions and the people that are kind of working within it could be really triggered but if you're not if no one's there as like an advocate or support it could be pretty detrimental to the community you're asking <laughs> so i just want to like, like frame that if you're not having like an advocate there for, for as someone that can like be he used to teach there. Support or regulation for the people that are potentially harmed or triggered in this conversation. Whether they're I'll tell you why he not, left in a like, second. That's a potential thing to think about and could be a flaw in the system because you need to have someone to be able to support that emotionally, mentally, and for people's trauma. So if you're not, it's kind of like these people might leave and feel like without any support or any understanding. All right, so I'm going to go to the end here because the end is really it gets to your point, Russ. So she's going to go in here and diss on her boomer parents and try to tell him about being a cisgender male. So here we go. I'm going to go to the end because this is where this is this is where the rubber hits the road. And someone to say, you didn't give me a chance to talk. So I didn't give her a chance to talk before, but that's only because I was listening to what you were going to say. And I realized that the class is here on a lot of time. And the reason that I switched from what she had, and I'm more than happy. They're going to get into his case for calling her she. They just told you their pronouns and their lived experience. Okay, then I, okay. So instead of getting. Okay, so this individual just told me that, and I'm trying to be reasonable. And I think it's better to have a conversation than for you guys to give me the finger and yell, fuck you. So you wanted to say something. Go ahead. It's already been. You 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 just called this person. Okay. And they just told you their gender. Okay. Well, I apologize. And I say they. That's the harm being done that we were talking about. Do you accept my apology? Okay. It's a generation. It's a generational, you know, education. If you okay, so a bunch of freaks. Watch this. Watch this. I I love that, and I accept your apology. So, isn't it better to have a conversation about this than to scream at someone from the rooftop? Oh, I don't know who I, I. I certainly didn't scream at you from the rooftop. Did any of you guys scream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you guys were screaming and yelling "fuck you" to me and giving me the finger. You're just saying, "Please go away. You're not welcome." No, I said "fuck you." Okay. Okay. So is so. Can I just? My goal is to just let this. No. So. Okay. So I, I understand that you believe on. I can't remember where that over there she moved, but I understand that you you believe this stuff. And we live in a democracy and other people don't have those beliefs. And I want to ask people if the reasons they have for their beliefs are justified. And this is that experiment. And your thought experiment, we don't, we actually have to go. We don't, we're not part of the thought experiment. We're all social workers and we saw this harm being done and we just wanted to come here with curiosity and also some, some information. And do you feel that you've spoken? Do you feel that anybody, if anybody else has something to say that that you, you haven't had an opportunity to speak. Do you feel like you've learned anything or taken? But but that doesn't answer my question. I just ask if anybody else has well, would like to speak. Have... If you'd like to speak, I'm standing here. Yeah, okay. Up, yeah. But I think to Joel's point, yeah, we hope that this was informative and helpful. And sorry if saying fuck you hurt your feelings. And um, no, it didn't hurt my feelings. But I'm glad because our student who you know who was hurt. We're, we're worried about them and potentially many, many others. And so that's why we came down to talk to you, just because we have a personal connection. Well, I'm glad. Isn't it better to have a conversation with someone than to... Yes. I mean, isn't that what the whole... 
enterprise should be about. It's not safe for everybody to have that conversation. Sometimes it's hard right. to just have a simple it's not conversation. Safe. Yeah. Especially when you're doing it's it like safe. every fucking day of your yeah. life. Watch yeah. this. this. Watch is this. We're fighting for and advocating for. This is our job. They're going to scatter, scatter like roaches in a minute. About. Sometimes it's hard to keep all those emotions in when we see someone that we care about being harmed. And do you think that the best way for people to understand, what, what is the best way for people to understand your point of view? This right now, showing up. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, what, uh, oh, advocating. Advocating for the people that may feel like they don't have a voice. Okay, so the people who watch this, because this is being videoed, do you think that the people who watch this, who don't agree with you, as a result of having watched this, will then agree with you? I'm not asking them to agree with me. But don't you want to facilitate social change? I'm asking you to have a different perspective to understand where we're coming from because we're trying. We came down here to try and understand where you're coming from. Did you? I don't think that anyone. Did you really though? To decide if this is. Okay, but you have to please be honest with me. Is that really why you came down to understand? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We were, we were okay, and and what what did you what is your understanding of why I'm doing this? I'm sorry, what, I haven't heard from you. What is it? It's not. I just want to tell you, we don't care about your thought experiment. We care about the human the, the, the impact that it's uh -huh. having on. Okay, so you didn't come down to understand why I'm doing this then. We came, to, we came down here to tell you like what you're doing is farming others. It's right, so you didn't come down others. to understand. That's why I asked you to please be honest. I, you, I really, oh. truly do want to understand why this even Just exists. Because we didn't want to know how your game works doesn't mean we weren't coming down here. To so what is it that you understand for why I'm doing this? If you said you came down to understand why am I doing this? No, no. This no no, but this is you've made a claim. You've made you've made a claim. Yeah. Right. Look at them. Look, look at them scatter, Russ. Watch the video and, and have some. What do you think the result of people watching this video will going to be? What is your intent? What is the impact it's having? That's all right. What harm is being done? Watch his look. Like, yep, yep. So I brought that I brought that video up for a number of different reasons, but the one the one reason was that is the front guard for everything that we're talking about. And, and, and I call them like the baby bumper brigade. And it's like when you put baby bumpers around uh, your uh, coffee table, it has an edge on it. So your kid doesn't trip and fall into it and you know crack his head open. They're like the baby bumper brigade and they want a baby bumper everything. And they're part of this movement. They're like the front guard. And I don't know if any of those people were trans or not. I'm really not that interested in that. But they were sent out like, like the like the the uh, sentinels in the Matrix, right? They were the sentinels in the Matrix, and they were going to control what Peter Bergosian wanted to talk about and and do in that environment. Yeah, because and, basically their whole argument is you're harming some kind of imaginary golem. <laughs> it's sort of like a that a little imaginary... tiny tiny sliver that all of a sudden has been elevated to the top of the pyramid. Yeah, if, 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 if they'd had their little, their little token tra transgender in tow with them, it might've been maybe slightly more effective, but they, they don't even have that. They're just, it's imaginary. Is, there, is, is, is your imaginary friend in the room with us now? It's kind of what it reminds me, the psychiatrist question. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Is your and there are thousands of people like that, they're being cranked out. Of course, Portland's yeah. way out there, but you, you just think that there's the whole world is just filled with transgenders that are easily offended, right? You know, 
and I, I bet you the trans, I bet you the real transgenders out there probably have pretty thick skins. So I, I used to drink at this bar in Point Richmond in California, and there is there is a tra- there is a trans dude, um, you know, male to female. This this guy was a former Army Ranger. He was about six foot. Yeah, so he, doesn't need, he doesn't need these people protecting him. And he, no, know. he's six six. <laughs> I mean, a pretty interesting person. I'll be honest with you. Okay, it's like okay, you were like a special forces Army Ranger badass dude. You still look pretty form formidable. And you know, I'm sitting down, I'm having a conversation with you, and you know, it's kind of an, it's an interesting conversation. No, he didn't need those people. No. That's the put, point to put the baby bumpers on. That, that, and that's what Dave Chappelle pretty much says. That's his argument. You know, what he, they don't, these people, the few of them that there are can generally take care of themselves. They don't need, you know, what, why are you speaking on their behalf? Who, who gave you the rights? Who, who assigned you the responsibility to come down here and speak on the rights of some imaginary transgender that might've overheard the conversation they, right. they had misunderstood right. said it or whatever and make you explain what you're doing right and when peter bogosian patiently smoked them out they all left he said did you really did you really come down here to understand this well what am i doing tell me what am i doing they couldn't they couldn't answer the question well, they said they didn't care they then they said it. they didn't care right right which, i mean which is a fair, which is a fair answer well, it's it's fair only because he had to work for it. Because I would, I think my response is, well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I guess to be honest with you, I don't really care about your position either. We're kind of at an impasse, and those are probably the real conversations people should have. Yeah, I'd agree with you, and I thought I thought Peter Bogosian was great, and um, he he did this uh, this uh, project called the Feasibility Studies, and it was him and James Lindsay. And uh, I always forget the woman who's, who's connected. Anyway, they wrote a bunch of papers and these would be peer reviewed papers. And they used all kind of the, the, the postmodern, uh, you know, Mar- Marcuse, you know, neologi- uh, new language, right. Postmodern syntax. And they, and they wrote about the most ridiculous things. Right. But they made sure that they had all the talking points and then the, the right postmodern syntax. And they wrote a bunch of these papers and they got seven of them peer reviewed. Oh, right. Right. That, yeah, that one. Exactly. It was a it was a hoax. Right. They were doing now this they, hoax. Now the other scan that these people are running, it, just kind of final thought on it is clearly, you, you know, we have this imaginary transgender that we're here to represent and you're white people. So and you, and you have no voice. Maybe right, they and they were very they clear about that. that. They made yeah. that really clear. Yeah, that, 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 that's really an insult. That doesn't really open up good dialogue. No, and he even he even called them on it. Does identify our race? Right, would you identify a black person by their race? I mean, that's really what he was saying. And they wouldn't. Right, they wouldn't do that. But, and, and he was just pointing out the inconsistencies in their logic and the reasoning all the way through that thing or, or even you know even if you're identifying my race which i don't think is necessarily a bad thing to do i don't think what, it is either what what is it what, what what knowledge does that really give you about me as a person right i mean right. how do you know where, where how do you know where i'm at i mean i guess you could see me down here in this plaza maybe acting a little strange in your eyes and a white guy 
Right. So I can kind of, I kind of get that. <laughs> right. But then he said, well, how do you know we, we aren't queer? Right. So there's a lot of assumptions going on yeah. and, and they're, they're really building this, uh, you know, new world based on a lot of faulty logic assumptions and victimology and a lot of feelings. And those feelings aren't even their own, right? They, they are projecting another person's feelings into the conversation. That's really strange. That, that part of it is really strange. It's really strange. <laughs> that's a, I'm telling you, Russ, that was, that's a they really got total ownership of somebody, some imaginary transgender's feelings. Exactly. <laughs> and they're going to, they're going to go fight for that imaginary transgender person. Uh, make the the hill they're going to die on. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so you know we started with Kinsey and money, which is you know the the kind of the the cauldron of this whole thing, and we looked at celebrity, the role celebrity plays in shaping people's perceptions about uh, the dysmorphic relationship with culture. Uh, we took a little stop there along the way with O.J. Simpson. And we brought it forward with Martine Rothblatt and Tara Sem, the transgender religion, the creation of That's the wild stuff. Tra- yeah. of the transhuman other with Bina forty eight, and we ended it with looking at the front guard, who is there to protect the imaginary friend's rights. Yeah, good show. Good Thanks show. There's a, there's there's a lot of depth to this show. Yeah, pay well, attention carefully if, if you re-listen to it. <laughs> Don't yeah. multitask. <laughs> yeah, multitask. We covered a lot of ground today. Well, Russ, I'm going to let you enjoy your uh, summer evening there in the Czech Republic, and we'll see you again in a month, okay? Okay, see ya. Take care. All right. That was Russ Winter from winterwatch.net. And um, thanks for being here today on the Friday Forecast. There will be uh, a, a straight audio podcast version on my website, 15 Minutes of Flame. Dot com. Let me give you an eyeball of what I do uh, Monday through Thursday uh, because I do do this four days a week. And uh, on my website, I stream off of my website. And uh, we get into stuff like this on a daily basis. And most of the time, it's just me. Every now and then, uh, we do have other people that will jump into the mix we have Jasper, the Astro Cat, who's been uh, taking a few days off here. So that's the website, 15 Minutes of Flame. And one of the sponsors of the uh, daily show is True Hemp Science. And it's my buddy, uh, uh, Chris, Chris uh, Christopher Lynch, whose business is in Austin, Texas. And he uh, puts together, pulls together really high-quality CBD and uh, the big hit is the gummies. Uh, and the gummies are great for helping you sleep at night. Uh, I missed my little gummy last night. I have to say that. I woke up at about 2.30 in the morning. So I did not sleep through the night like I would have liked to. But if you get $100 worth of his product, you go to truehemscience.com backslash ref backslash 23 and spend $100. Just type in. 15 minutes, one five M I N S. And uh, you can get some free product, at least $20 worth. Sometimes people get more. And another little bit of housekeeping here. Um, every year in October, I have a get together and an event in the Hill Country. Uh, 
and it is called the Harvest Moon, Hill Country Harvest Moon Get Together. Uh, and this is our fourth year doing it. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to start on October 13th. It'll go through the 17th. And my Astro bro, David Palmer, will be here with us this year. And I think it's going to be really successful. And we're probably going to sell out of the rooms at the hotel. Um, if you're interested in securing a room, now, if you secure a room, you cancel your reservation. There's no cost to you, right? There's no cost to you. And we have, I think, around 32 rooms, some of which are uh, doubles, some are singles. And um, you can call the hotel at this number, say that you're with the Harvest Moon event, and they'll have a list of rooms there. And I would suggest that you secure a room. I think they're going to go. And if you still want to attend and there aren't any rooms available, there are other rooms and other places to stay in the area. There are Airbnbs. There are a number of RV parks that are on the Guadalupe River. So if you're an RV person, you want to drive, there's some really nice places to stay. Uh, so that's going to be happening. And this week, I will have the entire cost for the events apart from the rooms. You get the rooms yourself, and then you're going to have uh, one, two, three, four meals. We have three dinners together, and we have one brunch together. And of course, there's David, there's myself, I may bring in another person or two, I'm not quite um, sure about that yet. I'm, I'm, it depends on how popular it is. If I get if I get 40 to 40 people to sign up in the next two weeks, they commit to this thing. Um, there's a good chance I'll bring somebody else in. But I won't do it unless there's some real traction here. And one of the things that I love to do is have uh, offsite activities. I'm going to plan at least one. We've had multiple in years past. I'll plan at least one. And uh, David is going to perform on Saturday night. So some of you know that he uh, makes electronic music, beats, all that stuff. So he's going to do that too. So, you know, we get to uh, shake our ass and, and, uh, get sweaty and ecstatic. Not quite like the uh, Albert Kinsey, so Alfred Kinsey side of things. We don't go there, um, but it'll be fun. So there you go. If you want to jump in and meet some of the people that are in Chattaria, uh, and I'm sure David's people will have, you know, they'll come by and they'll stop in and, you know, for uh, four days, you know, we create a little family uh, and it's great. Every time we do this, New relationships are made, new friendships are made, new connections are made, and a lot of times they're life-changing. So anyway, there's that. All right, I will be back on Sunday night. I wasn't going to be earlier, but my plans have changed, so I'll, I'll be here on Sunday night so we can talk more about this stuff, the alignment that's taking place right now, Sun, Mercury, Venus, Moon, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, all alignment, pearls in a string, and that started this morning. And will be happening for the next couple of days, I guess, until the moon moves out of its particular sign. And most of the planets are in dignity, meaning their own sign. All right. Thanks for being here. Once again, thanks to Russ Winter from winterwatch.net. Use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart to say what's possible.
I'm Robert Phoenix. And for uh, Jasper, who has uh, decided that I think he's striking for something. Maybe he's striking for another friend. Maybe that's what this is all about. So for myself and Jasper, take good care. Have a great weekend. Um, and if you're living in a city or a place that looks like it could be volatile, please be careful. Keep your head on a swivel. Practice situational awareness. Uh, there's a really good chance that uh, things could get very weird here over the next 48, 72 hours. You've seen some of the flyers. Um, some of them, you know, are, are uh, urging people to hit the streets. Whether they're real or not, I don't know. But the thought that they're out there makes them real enough in some ways. All right. Take good care.